So today we are starting with the word hope. I often hear people use this word hope. But, but a lot of times when I hear the word hope, people will say, I hope the Steelers win. Or I hope it snows. Or if you're me, I hope it doesn't snow, right? We often use the word hope, but really it's like the word wish. Okay? And it's like as Christians, we know we're not supposed to wish. So we say hope. That's like a Christian wish. That's really a lot how we talk about hope. But in the Bible, if you look at hope, hope is a much bigger word than a wish. It really has sort of two parts. And to understand hope, you've got to get both of the parts. Part one is about trusting in God. That no matter what happens, I know how the story ends. And in the end, no matter how dark the world seems, I know Jesus wins. Okay, I, I know how this ends. I know whatever happens to me in this world, I have, let's call it, eternal security. I know how the story ends. And so no matter how dark the world gets, I understand, okay, it's going to be all right because I know how this ends. We see this all the time in the Old Testament. There's an emphasis on the goodness of God that his, Psalm 136 says, God's steadfast love endures forever. And it repeats that phrase, endures forever. There's this eternal, it's going to be okay because God wins in the end. The prophets talk a lot about this idea of the day of the Lord. There's this day coming, they say, where, where God's going to make all of it right and everything that's wrong in this world is going to be fixed. We can have eternal security. That's hope. But hope doesn't just stop there with eternal security. Part two of hope has to do with living in light of that security. In other words, because I know that God has the rest of the chapters written, because I know how the book ends, I can live with a certain amount of boldness and courage and faith in the moment. In Revelation, it talks about having patient endurance. I love that. Okay, try to use that phrase when you drive sometime. Patient endurance. I can endure this patiently. I can live differently because I know how this ends. So we've got eternal security, but we've also got, let's call it present day trust. Because I know God's got the whole thing in his hands, I can live with a certain amount of trust today. The Bible's got a couple great metaphors for hope that I think sort of flesh this out. Okay, Hebrews 16 or 619 talks about a hope like an anchor, like an anchor to a boat. And so instead of like when you feel like the world is tossing you about on the sea, you can think of a hope like the anchor that's kind of holds you there. That's the steadiness, right? That if I have real hope in Jesus, I'm not really rocked by whatever is going on in the world. Whatever bad things happen, I'm sort of secure. I'm sort of stable because I've got hope. I've got this anchor that holds me there. The other interesting metaphor is 1 Thessalonians 5.8. It talks about putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. So, so hope is an anchor, but hope is also a helmet. And I love that image too. Hope is this security, this safety that I have of putting on a helmet. Now, but that implies something else, I think, that metaphor. Okay? We don't wear helmets all the time, do we? Okay? We don't just walk around with helmets on. Helmets involve, in those days, not football, but battle. Okay, hope is the idea I can go to battle, I can trust because I know God's got it. It's a security. So, so hope has these two parts in the Bible, eternal security and present day trust. We know how the story is written, 
So whatever happens in our chapter, I can relax about it. I can trust that God's going to get it through. Maybe another way to help think about hope is to think about the opposite of hope, which would be hopeless or hopelessness. If you're hopeless, you don't trust God with the end of the story. Okay, I don't believe in a God, so therefore I don't have trust that God is God. I don't know how the story is going to end. And then you don't have the hope of the end to be able to live with this sort of present-day trust. And so what happens is if you're hopeless, you end up helpless. If you're hopeless, you end up wish-washy about stuff, and you're not secure, and you can't be bold, because you get this helplessness. You say, the world is happening to me, instead of having an understanding that I am also happening to the world, that I can actually do something about what's going on in the world. See, that's where hope really gets us going. Hope is not just about, I have a passive trust, but if I have hope in Christ, I can actually live my life differently. So I I was listening to a podcast about hope this week by an author named Rob Bell, and he gave a great example to help bring this to life, I think. How many of you have been stuck in traffic? You've been stuck? It's everybody. Everybody's been stuck in traffic, right? How many of you got mad about getting stuff in traffic, right? Yeah. How many of you complain to somebody else about getting stuck in traffic? No, no. Think about this for a minute. How do you know there was traffic? You were driving, right? You were driving in the traffic. Okay, so think about, just think about this thought process of getting mad at traffic. Here I am. I'm trying to get where I want to go. And all these other knuckleheads are in my way, right? But you know what? You know what? You drove. You were part of, you are traffic. All those other knuckleheads think you're a knucklehead and you're in their way. Okay, you're part of the traffic. Very often in life, very often in life, we complain about stuff that happens without realizing that we're part of the traffic. We are part of the problem. Like all this stuff is happening outside of my control. Yeah, you didn't have to drive. Okay, you could have taken the bus. You could have gone at a different time. You're there. So you're part of the problem. How often do we complain about how terrible these stories are on the news? Yeah. How do you know the stories were terrible? You watched them. You upped the viewership. You were part of the traffic, everybody. These terrible articles online. How do you know those articles are there? You clicked on the link. You were part of the traffic system, everybody. Part of what Hope is saying is, the traffic isn't just happening to me. I am part of what goes on in this world. And actually, I can change some of it. That's what real hope is. Real hope is, since I know that God is having an impact on this world, I'm not just passively, I'm not just a victim where everything happens to me. I have actually got some control because I'm part of the traffic. And even when stuff is really bad, even when you get bad news from a doctor or you lose someone or you go through something really bad, you still have control of how you react to it. That's what real hope is. Real hope isn't just trusting eternally, but it's saying present day now, I can trust God with what's going on in this world. I'm part of the traffic, which means I can choose to maybe do something different. And boy, we live in a world with a lot of traffic, right? A lot of stuff wrong right now. It's kind of a crazy, hopeless, helpless world. Pretty hopeless, and a lot of people, as we enter the holidays, are feeling helpless about it. About the economy, about 
politics, about personal finances, about health concerns. This leads people to panic, to feel restless, okay? To feel like there is no anchor and there is no helmet and I'm just out here in this world and it is dangerous. We live in a pretty hopeless and helpless time. And it leaves us thinking that there is no hope and that if there is hope, it's, it's not something I could do. I'm helpless. I can't do anything about it. And people want hope, but they keep going to things that don't deliver hope. You ever notice this in the world? If only I had more of this. If only this person got elected. If only that had happened. If only this would go away. Then, yeah, listen, the hopes of this world will always let you down. They are not true hopes. So we feel anchorless. We feel helmetless. We feel hopeless and we feel helpless. And in a lot of ways, the, 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 the times of Jesus were very different than ours, right? <laughs> no cell phones, no traffic with cars. Okay, it's just a different world. But in a lot of ways, too, the times of Jesus are not that different. It was pretty hopeless. Think about the oppression of the Romans. They can make you have to travel for a census. You know what a census means? Taxes, more taxes. The Romans are going to... And, and you know what? Everybody in the first century knew if you, if you ticked off the Romans too much, they would just come in and totally wipe you out. By the way, it's exactly what happened in 70 AD. Okay? So, so they were right to be afraid of the Romans. They were pretty helpless. Israel had its religious system, but there's a lot of questions about that. Was it, was it corrupted? Was it true? Lots of people didn't trust their religious leaders, didn't trust their national leaders either. How do you trust Herod? How do you trust Pilate to not have their own good or the good of their financial benefactors, their supporters and mine? Ton of poverty, ton of sickness in the time. You ever notice in the Gospels, Jesus is always bumping into beggars and blind people and lepers. It's a dark time. It's a dark time. Oppression, poverty. Lots of people didn't even get their basic needs Met. It's why when Jesus feeds them a bunch of bread, everybody starts following him because they want bread. They don't have the things that they need. Oppression, poverty, unsure about trusting authorities, feeling like the world could come apart at any moment. None of this sounds like us, does it? No, it's just like us. Hopeless. And you've got to wonder, like they did, what is God doing? How will God answer his promises? What kind of difference can I make in such a dark and hopeless world? Then in this hopeless world, we get this actually kind of hopeless little story about this girl. She's she's a teenage girl. She's betrothed, but she's not married. And an angel comes and tells her that she's going to be pregnant. Well, a teenage girl, I mean, no husband's going to stay with you. It's not his baby. And in fact, in fact, if the town really wants to, they could get all excited and probably stone you for having a child out of wedlock. There's no future for Mary. There's no future for Mary. And yet her response when she hears this news is, let it be to me as you will. So at one point, Mary gets out of Dodge. She leaves and she goes to Jerusalem. She's got a relative there named Elizabeth, probably some kind of aunt, a second aunt or something like that. And uh, she goes and sees Elizabeth and stays with Elizabeth. And amazingly, Elizabeth is also pregnant. Okay, we got two miraculous pregnancies, one from a virgin, the other from a woman who is past the age of childbirth. 
And when Elizabeth sees Mary, she, she, she praises her, she sings. And not only does she sing, but the baby in the womb, John the Baptist, before he's born, starts, starts doing somersaults and gets into it. And Mary, hearing this praise and responding to this affirmation, sings a little song. We get it in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. We call it the Magnificat because the first word is the word magnify. She magnifies. But let me, let me just read it. It's real short. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servants. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. And He has shown the strength of His arm. He has, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. And he helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here's Mary. She, she's in this hopeless situation. And, and pretty hopeless too, right? Okay, she's, now, she's, now she's pregnant. Like, it's happening. She's got to roll with it now. She didn't have any control over that. No sense of agency. She's left in this really heated situation. She gets out of town. Has she even told Joseph yet? We're not sure. Or does she just come back and she's several months pregnant? But Mary has hope. Everybody see the hope that Mary has? I mean, think about her song real quick. She, she's not just thankful for the baby. Actually, that's very little bit very little of the song. She's actually thankful for this much larger sort of plan, right? That Mary, Mary is living out this trust. She's thankful for the baby, but, but she, she sees what's happening as God's mercy, she says, from generation to generation. She claims this baby will bring down the proud and the mighty. There's this, there's this making right of the world that Mary has a sense, oh, that's happening in my womb. We sing this song that, that you know, and I, I love the song, Mary, Did You Know? But it's pretty clear she kind of knew, right? She kind of knew what was going on. She had some of this larger sense that the child growing in her room was the helper of Israel, the remembrance of God's mercy going all the way back to Abraham. She's got this great sense of how big this story is. Does everybody see her hope? Eternal security. Okay, like this is actually the answer to a whole generation, to all of Israel's, not just mine, all of Israel's hope. It's also my hope. And she has this faith like, okay, it's going to be all right. Probably not going to get stoned. I'm probably not going to be ostracized. This is going to end up working out okay. This amazing trust that Mary has, this hope, a dark world, a dark story, and yet this light of hope that Mary has. Israel's hope is Mary's hope, is our hope. So to conclude, let me, let me just give you a couple insights into hope. Tried to really define it for you. Tried to use Mary to help you understand these two parts of hope. Let me just make a couple insights. First of all, you should just know that hope seems silly and foolish to those who don't have it. Okay? It always is. In the Greek philosophy, hope was not considered a virtue. It was considered folly. Because hope was the giving up of logic. And, and truthfully, it is. When bad stuff really happens to you, and you try to have hope anyway, 
That seems foolish to the world. And I'm just going to tell you, the world doesn't understand it, and they're going to question it. And here's what I have found. If somebody doesn't really have hope, don't try to convince them. Okay? Because they ain't going to get it. You almost can't give somebody a hope. You, you just have to find it. And so just expect that hope is sometimes silly. It's sometimes foolish. It doesn't always make sense, and not everybody understands it. That is the very nature of hope. Number two, one of my favorite hymns begins with the line, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Okay, this, this hymn written by a guy named Edward Mote about 1834, and it captures something really important about hope. My hope is what? Built. Everybody, hope is built. That's a really important insight. Hope is built. You don't just receive hope. You don't just inherit hope. You don't just sort of grow hope. Hope is built. It's like a house. Okay. If you have a piece of property and you have all these materials, but you don't build anything, you don't got a house. It takes time to build, to lay a foundation, to set up. You got to plan. You got to work to build hope. Hope is built. You don't inherit it. Doesn't just grow, doesn't just happen. You have to build it. What are you doing to build hope in your life? Let me tell you something. As a pastor, I walk with a lot of people through a lot of situations where they lose someone, they get a bad diagnosis, lose their job, and, and sometimes it really rocks people. But, but sometimes I can tell, sometimes, not always, but sometimes I can really tell the people who have built hope and the people who have not built hope. The people who have built up their faith, built up this idea of hope over time. And I can tell the people that have a property and they've got building materials, but they've never swung a hammer and they never actually built the hope. And then when they needed it, didn't have it. Okay, When Mary gets visited by an angel, she already has hope, everybody. She doesn't have to build it in the moment. She's built it up over time. So when the angel comes, when she sees Elizabeth, when her world is rocked, the hope is already built. What are you doing to build hope in your life? Third thing I think is really important to say, I've kind of hinted at it already, but I've said hope is two parts. Eternal security, I trust the big story, and then present day trust. I trust today's story in light of that eternal hope. And what I want to tell you is that Christian hope is actually always both. Okay, If it's ever not both, it's not true hope. It's only a half hope. So I know Christians who have this hope, this eternal security. They're like, I've got it. My ticket is punched. I'm going to heaven. It's all good. But when it comes to actually the pains of this world, they just check out. Like, I've already punched my ticket. I'm out of here. They cover their ears. They cover their eyes. They ignore the pain of this world. They take no agency. In fact, often they complain about the traffic. <laughs> they complain about the pains of this world, but, but they've got their eternal security, so that's fine. But you see, that's only half hope. Okay? I also know Christians who are like, let's go fix this world. Here we go. Okay, put your helmet on. We're getting out here in this world, and we are going to fix it. We're going to make the traffic stop. But they don't have this understanding that actually, actually God is going to fix that in the end. So it's not all up to you. They have the present day hope, but they don't have the eternal security. And I want to tell you, hope is only hope if it's both. Okay, If it's only part of hope, it's only half hope. And it's not really 
hope then. You've got to have the eternal security and the present day trust. I can't wait for heaven. And I can't wait for tomorrow to do God's will now. Okay, And you've got to have both can't waits. You're missing one, you're missing the other. You only have a half a hope. To conclude and kind of summarize, let me just read the words written by Charles Wesley to the hymn we are about to sing. It's called, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. Let me just read the first verse. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. I always love when a hymn can summarize what I just tried to say in 20 minutes in like two paragraphs. The hymn writers got this. This is the kind of hope we're seeking. This is the kind of hope the world needs. This is the kind of hope that the world is looking for in all the wrong places. And it's the kind of hope that takes away your fears and takes away your sin and gives you a, a, an agency so that you can go out in this world and say, okay, I'm a part of the traffic and I'm going to make a difference because I know God is going to make the difference in the end. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand and sing this wonderful hymn together.